Production made possible in part by MedPlus Advantage. You're listening to Radio Rounds, a talk show created and hosted by medical students and physicians in training, where today's stories are told by tomorrow's doctors. Coming up on today's show, Radio Rounds' Shami Das adds to our series of episodes on physician well-being as he sits down with Dr. Cheryl Heron, Associate Residency Director and Vice Chair for Administrative Affairs at the Emory University Department of Emergency Medicine in Atlanta, Georgia. Join us as Dr. Heron shares her insights into how physicians can prepare themselves for a long, fulfilling career in medicine. It is quite easy for us, given the challenges of speed and time, uh, to see someone, for example, who comes in with chronic headaches or chronic abdominal pain, to take care of the pain, get the initial studies, do what we have to do, move very quickly, but perhaps don't ask questions that might be related to partner violence, which quite frankly might be the underbelly for why the patient is in the emergency department in the first place. More from our conversation with physician wellness expert Dr. Cheryl Heron right now on Radio Rounds. Welcome to Radio Rounds, everyone. I'm John Corker. Today, we continue our theme on physician well-being, a topic that is at the very heart of our organization. Radio Rounds is dedicated to raising awareness about and discussing ways to reverse the burnout and cynicism that all too often develop throughout a physician's career, from training to clinical practice. Our very own Shami Das will be interviewing Dr. Cheryl Heron, a physician who has experienced both many challenges and many successes in her career, and she'll even discuss the very moment when she became acutely aware of her cynicism and how she revived her passion for the practice of medicine. Now, let's join Shami and Dr. Heron as they discuss strategies on how to navigate the challenges of practicing medicine in an era of change. To start off, could you tell our listeners a little bit about your career in emergency medicine? Uh, So I've actually been in emergency medicine now going on my 17th year. Um, I started out as a resident in Martin Luther King Hospital in L.A. and uh, came over to Emory in that fateful summer, 1996, where Centennial Park bombing, in fact, was my first night shift. Wow, Um, quite the start. Quite quite the start. (laughs) And I I came aboard uh, actually as a fellow in injury control and prevention. My area of interest that was born from my training in residency was uh, looking at partner violence and understanding how partner violence infects what we do. And with a public health degree, I was more in the realm of prevention and how can we as emergency physicians focus on that and look at it from a different uh, lens and prism to help our patients so that they don't necessarily have to come and see us for their you know, battered injuries, but more we can prevent injuries going forward. And for our listeners, you know, if you remember from the introduction, Dr. Heron's quite accomplished. It goes beyond the typical practice of emergency medicine, including a lot of injury prevention work, many publications on injury prevention. Mm-hmm. Uh, but one of your other areas of interest is resident and physician wellness. Sure. And and I can tell you, Shami, that that became a, a growing uh, level of interest, I would say, probably uh, when I was at that 10-year mark where you start to hear and or see perhaps that there is burnout and large numbers of burnout in our specialty. And when I started to think about it and do my own pulse check to see where I was uh, in terms of my own trajectory in the field and asking myself, 
do I still enjoy what I do? I started to really delve into the literature and into the realities on physician burnout and became very intrigued uh, more so in the realm of what we call uh, physician resiliency. With a public health degree, I am in the world of prevention. So rather than foray into burnout, which I would say is the antithesis of resiliency, how do we mitigate burnout? By introducing some concepts around self-care and self-reflection so that uh, burnout can be somewhat blunted uh, in our specialty, which frankly has a high gauge for burnout. And so uh, that's a great transition because uh, one of the questions I had for you was emergency medicine has a disproportionate number of physicians who fall out of practice, who decide to change fields, who decide to do something else compared to the average. Um, Is there something unique to emergency medicine or what what characteristics are similar? So, you know, if you think about our work, if you think about the patients we care for, if you think about the setting... Uh, in which we spend an inordinate amount of time, if you consider residency as well. Emergency medicine is a specialty that doesn't necessarily attract patients who, quite frankly, want to see the physician. You have patients whose lives have changed instantaneously. Uh, They perhaps leave their home with the goal of going to work, to school, on vacation, and something tragically happens to either themselves or their family members or their loved one. It's not something that's predictable necessarily. And all of of a sudden, you have patients who end up in the emergency department uh, who are afraid, who are, are in fact, alarmed about what is happening, what might be happening. And we uh, sit in a place where we have to articulate very bad news to patients. We have to do it very quickly. We have to do it in a way that commands uh, time and investment with other people, such as our consultants. And it's a grind. Just having gone through the interview trail and matching in emergency medicine, one of the things that drew me to the profession was the ability to help people in their time of need. Correct. And so what you're saying is that you're there helping them in their time of need, but that's probably the most difficult time to deal with them and right. to be a part of their lives. And, and, and Shami, think about that. It's helping them, but lots of them, mm-hmm. right? And so uh, the the idea when one interviews or when works in our, our, our field is uh, we start off in our construct, think, okay, I will help this person or that person. But then when you actually work in emergency medicine and you amplify this one or two to 10 or 20 or hundreds or thousands over time, there's a natural inherent part of that that will lead to burnout. And if you think about the constructs of burnout, which, you know, starts with sort of depersonalization and emotional exhaustions, and then you sort of check out, uh, if you will, of, of what you're doing, we are ripe for that. You mentioned the three pillars, right? right. So yeah. uh, could you tell us a little bit about about those? You know, and so when you think about it, if, if you... Uh, let's just start with depersonalization, for mm-hmm. example. Uh, you see lots of patients very quickly. Uh, we have to keep moving. That is how we are, are taught. This is how we're trained. And the, uh, I would say the, the inherent difficulties around that is perhaps you need to pause and or reflect and take time to understand, appreciate, and delve into the perhaps social economic constructs uh, that might be part and parcel for why the patient is sitting before you. I see that quite often, interestingly enough, in my, in my work around partner violence, where it is quite easy for us, given the challenges of speed and time, uh, to see someone, for example, who comes in with chronic headaches or chronic abdominal pain, to take care of the pain, get the initial studies, do what we have to do, move very quickly, but perhaps don't ask questions that might be related to partner violence, which quite frankly might be the underbelly for why the patient is in the emergency department in the first place. 
do you do you feel that the the depersonalization is part of our training in some way to uh, you know from my experience in medical school you want to maintain objectivity mm-hmm. at the same time so finding that balance between so so Shami you're you're asking me for that sweet spot what is the sweet <laughs> spot right between mm-hmm. uh, the professional line that you maintain with your patient in terms of asking and receiving and sharing information and getting it done and moving forward and protecting yourself from that. And I would say, I don't think we are necessarily trained uh, towards that depersonalization, but we are uh, somewhat uh, in the environment in which we work, uh, we, we adopt those skill sets because that's what we see uh, from our faculty, our other consultants, uh, the nurses perhaps, the environment in which you work. I think that's sort of that hidden curriculum you sort of hear of all the time in terms of role modeling and all these other things that aren't necessarily taught where you are given some information and then you're assessed on some information and then you, you mm-hmm. know, take that mm-hmm. into your practice, but frankly you absorb without necessarily seeing it's coming. And how I know that to be true, if I use myself as an example, uh, is I really started to ask myself, uh, what, what am I doing here? Why am I doing this? Why am I perhaps responding uh, to a patient in perhaps not the way that I envisioned myself wanting to respond to a patient? More specifically, you're perhaps annoyed that they're there. You see somebody who comes in with substance abuse that you just discharged yesterday, and now you're mad that they're back, and now you have to take the time to investigate all these other things. And after a while, you just say, you know what, I'm no longer dealing with people. Mm -hmm. I am now dealing with diseases. And what does that equal? Depersonalization. You're no longer dealing with persons. You're dealing with what brought them here. And uh, answer for a short question. No, that's great. And so tell us about the third pillar. Um, and so when you check out the third pillar, which is, you know, to your point about uh, people wanting to leave, you get that, you hear uh, in 10 years people want to just leave the work. And I suspect that it is multifactorial, frankly. I think part of it may be um, how we are acculturated in what we do, meaning if you think about our trajectory in medicine. We spend four years uh, in high school and then perhaps four years in college and then perhaps four years in medical school and then perhaps three or four years in residency and then perhaps in my case you may do another fellowship and then four years later you're starting to wonder where you're going to evolve or how you're going to evolve um, into your self as it were in this profession that we've chosen. And I think that over time we don't give room for those Um, inherent changes or expectation of changes. And Mm -hmm. I will candidly tell you that when I hit my four-year mark or sort of five-year mark in my case, I was was anxious. (laughs) And it wasn't necessarily because I did not like what I was doing, but I had been doing it for four to five years. I had settled into something um, that was clearly directed, clearly defined, and I had the clock in my mind thinking, what's next? It's four to five years in. What's next? That's how um, we're trained. Right? Yeah, so that's the trend, right? High school, so college, college, medical school, school graduate, graduate school, school, whatever it is, residency. Work for four to five years. Okay, what's next? Yeah. <laughs> um, and I think if we claim and validate that there is an inherent clock of what's next within us and proactively uh, think about that so that we can either uh, define or have someone define for you 
the what's next um, in a thoughtful, deliberate manner, I think we would be very good at not leading to that checking out piece of, of the burnout continuum. And I would say that if you look at physicians, uh, and, I, and this is an anecdotal uh, sort of uh, approach, although Gloria Kuhn and her colleagues did a really nice study on physician uh, uh, burnout, um, as well as uh, Rita Sadalka, and they looked at some ASAP data. But if you look at physicians and, and, and who do well, uh, there are some inherent factors, like uh, uh, if you're in a leadership position, uh, if you're involved in academia, um, if you uh, have some outside interests, uh, there are several self-protective things that one can do to sort of say, well, I perhaps am moving towards this burnout uh, continuum, what do I need to do and how do I need to do it to be proactive again, and this may fall back to my public health degree because I'm a, a, a woman who believes in prevention, what can I do? Now, will I tell you, Shami, that I had figured this out? Au contraire, I think, I, uh, in fact, I know for me, it sort of was a natural evolution. Even though one does not know the direction in which they may go, if one fundamentally focuses on self-care, wellness, doing good, working hard, people notice, right? Yeah, and so I think what I what I hear you saying is that, and this is something that Dr. Peter Rosen, when he was at our Grand Rounds talk last year, mm-hmm. uh, mentioned was it's important to have interest adjacent mm-hmm. to and outside of medicine. That is correct, and and, so, and lots mm-hmm. of them, um, <clears throat> and have support um, uh, to be able to to exact those those other things. And if there is one thing I would offer. It's, we are not very good, we meaning physicians in general, emergency medicines in particular, in giving ourselves permission hmm. to and either enjoy outside things or engage in things that are outside of medicine. It's fascinating to me. I remember going to a national meeting and talking about physician wellness. And in fact, colleagues around the country will say, Cheryl, we know those six things that, you, that keep you well. You are so focused on them, and it's, you know, my faith in my family, my, you know, my Merlot and my chocolate, and I can <laughs> rattle them off, my six vacations. And I have no qualms in tapping into those things, nor do I feel guilty about it. But when I hear other people speak, it's, it's a bit mind-boggling to me where individuals feel they have not earned nor feel they have a right to be able to do the things that are valuable uh, to them outside of medicine. So it's okay to enjoy your so career it's okay to and enjoy your career. to do things outside of your career and to balance. And it's okay. And it's also okay <clears throat> to know that some of the things that you see doesn't feel good. Mm-hmm. To see multiple victims on a shift from a catastrophic event, whether it's the Olympics like I participated in or several other things that I participated in, it's okay to share that with others and say, you know what? That was awful. That didn't feel good. And I remember one a sentinel uh, example of that for me was when I had a family of five come in who were in uh, multiple gunshot wounds shot by a young guy, family member, sort of in a, a crazed stupor, and they came in on change of shift. There were three children, two adults, and two of the children were uh, similar in ages to my nieces at the time. And I had such a visceral reaction that 
I could have never predicted. It came out of nowhere. So I will say to people who might be listening or watching that you never know when that thing might just touch you in a way that you will not see it coming. And in doing that, I actually owned it and said, this is really bad. And I spoke with Art Kellerman in typical Art Kellerman fashion. He says, you need to write it up. And I would say that reflective writing is another way, another tool, another skill that one can employ to just put things on paper, sort of put it out there if you're not comfortable sharing with others. And in writing it up and sharing it with Arthur, Arthur said, this is really good. You need to publish this. Now, who knew uh, that a tragedy you know, would end up as a publication, but then I also tagged it to uh, the use of firearms mm-hmm. and gun violence mm-hmm. and the public health implications. And so I brought it full circle to And I think that's the, the important thing is taking those visceral, those visceral moments, exactly. and those visceral experiences and changing them. So in, in the realm of, you know, in grief, right. taking it and putting it into something that's actually productive Correct. is the And not goal. burying it. Right. Because I think when you bury it, <clears throat> And then you bury that, and then the other one, and then the other one, and then the other Mm -hmm. one. I know what will happen is not only do you uh, get the burnout, the depersonalization, the exhaustion, but it can can lead to very devastating uh, responses that one may not see coming. Um, And I think that where we are now, particularly here at Emory, as we try to take baby steps to look at and think about the resilience piece, how do we know what is coming to be able to look at it head on and say, here are some things that you're going to anticipate happen to you. So, you know, in our curriculum, we talk about, you know, change management and stress management and time management and sleep hygiene and conflict resolution based on what our residents told us. We asked them. We did a needs mm-hmm. assessment. What would, you, what would you need to hear? What would you like to uh, get some skills? So going around? outside of the academic yeah. formal training in, in whatever specialty you're in. Yeah. But, you know, one of the things you mentioned is the shift in paradigm yeah. from burnout prevention yeah. to resilience training. Yeah. And I think that's an important shift yeah. because it takes it more, you know, beyond like this is something that's going to happen to you right. to something you can actually do to maintain Correct. instead of just address, you know, Correct. every now and then. Correct. And, and it's, if you think about resilience, you know, in its true definitional form is how do you how do you become stretched uh, in the most profoundest of ways, whether it's the patients you care for in the types of presentations they have or the number of it, whatever it is, how do you get stretched and not snap, which is burnout, mm-hmm. but rather bounce back and say, okay, I, I have witnessed and felt and, and seen some things that have really stretched me. I know so because it doesn't feel good. I'm having thoughts about checking out um, with my patients, with my family. Um, I am not engaged uh, in what uh, I, I am, I've otherwise been engaged in, whether it's your outside activities mm. or uh, whatever it may be. But how do I bounce back to say, wow. Let me look at this and know that this is sort of an expected um, reality. So it's coming. I know it's coming, not why is this coming? Mm-hmm. Um, and knowing that it's coming, what can I do, say, engage in uh, to address it with colleagues, uh, with family, with resources, whether it's a faculty staff assistance program like we have uh, here at Emory, and more importantly, not to stigmatize it, because 
the notion that you have to be tough and strong and responsive and not show emotions, it, it, it's just got to stop. I mean, we're humans first. And I think the important thing to emphasize is that the spectrum of burnout and, and these adverse uh, reactions to everyday events spans from medical students all the way to career all the physicians. Way career physicians. Um, what would you recommend to our medical students, physicians, residents out there uh, to take those steps to acknowledge and, and get onto the path to building re- resiliency in their own careers and environments? You know, so Lottie Derby is probably one of the, the nation's experts who have actually who has actually looked at students in particular, and. Like anything else in medicine, it has to sort of start early. It's very difficult to perhaps take a physician who has been out 35 or 40 years from training to start talking about wellness and Mm self-care because that's not the environment, frankly, in which they were acculturated. So it's got to start early. So it's got to start early. So we look at medical school now and we say, hmm, here is a profession in which you have chosen uh, to be involved in. Here are some of the challenges that you're going to face. The first uh, patient death you may witness or delivering bad news or fatigue that you may see. And by the way, you're going to be in an environment where you're going to see uh, physicians who perhaps are not uh, happy and, and delighted to do what they do and quite frankly are manifesting in perhaps unprofessional behavior, which we've all seen. And so knowing that the environment, the learning environment in which we live, can lend itself to eroding away the idealism uh, that we start out with in medicine, what we need uh, is a champion and or champions that can say, you know, we're going to focus on physician wellness in the realization that it's a hard profession that you're in, yet we are going to be supportive of you. It is not taboo Mm -hmm. to seek help. It is not taboo to share your um, discomfort, dismay, your stress, your depression. You will not be labeled nor signaled. Stigmatized. Stigmatized. And then we fast forward to say, but suppose you have perhaps mental health or other addictive uh, need, you know, personalities, whether it's substance abuse or what have you, you have on the other end of the spectrum to be reported into a physician database, right? Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. it's a it's a bit of a it's a bit of a tug because on the one hand you want our physicians to be open and honest and share some of the not so pleasant aspects of guess what being human because right. just because we're physicians does not exonerate us from mental illness mm-hmm. or substance abuse, alcohol abuse, all of that, but somehow. We've had a hard time trying to bridge that gap because if you, are, if you look at sometimes your application for either license or to work in a job, there is a line that says, mm-hmm. have you ever been you know, need of mental health or substance abuse treatment? So, and what does that mean? Right. So the likelihood that somebody may check yes Maybe it's a stretch, but I'm not thinking that they would check yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure about that. So a, a shift in, in our the paradigm of uh, how we perceive ourselves is not immune to these Correct. these natural responses and, to everyday events. And, and more importantly, supporting mm-hmm. our physicians. Uh, as part of my role 
uh, in the dean's office where I run a capstone course, which is the last course before our students graduate from Emory, our medical students. I've actually involved a session on physician impairment. And the evaluations we've received on that where we've had uh, Paul Early, who is our our local and national uh, guru on physician impairment, comes and brings a team of physicians who have gone through some form of of impairment, whether it's mental health impairment or substance abuse impairment, come and talk to the students um, as a way to put a face on the realities of what can happen even in the midst of one's capacity to be or belief to be functional. So how do we allow for those conversations? And how do we uh, engender champions in the various residency programs, which would not only be the program directors and perhaps the chair, but also the residents themselves, Mm -hmm. to galvanize a movement to say, we want to do emergency medicine for the long haul. I would argue that this is something that we can apply to any residency program. Any residency program. Right? I would so it's got to start from the top, including the, from the chair top. of the department, program director, and everyone. And trickle between. on down. Mm-hmm. And then maybe even trickle on up. I can, it's ironic how uh, despite what our data will show or numbers will show about emergency medicine being at the top of the food chain when it comes to burnout, we are and have been revered here at Emory as uh, some of the, the nicest, uh, most compassionate and caring residents who believe in wellness despite, you know, the very difficult, you know, work that we do, which again reminds me of the need to ensure this is a culture. And we are working with the graduate medical education uh, team to really to pull this forward. We work with uh, internal medicine. Uh, initially, uh, we have ophthalmology who's jumped on board uh, in looking at this because they see our residents not only functional and good at what they do, but also quite happy. Which <laughs> who would have thought? Who would have thought, right? <laughs> so, again, it tells me that it can be done. It can be done. Dr. Hearn, you're a remarkable example. <laughs> Thank you for joining us on Radio Rounds today. Thank you so much, Sean. It's good to have you at Emory. <laughs> that was Dr. Cheryl Heron, emergency physician and wellness expert at Emory University in Atlanta, Georgia. Thanks to both Shami and Dr. Heron for that insightful conversation. For more information, please check out the show notes on our website, radiorounds.org, for links to helpful resources referenced in the interview. You can also find links to past episodes on the theme of medical student and physician wellness. Join us next week for a very special feature as Radio Rounds will broadcast its first ever live Google Plus video roundtable. We will feature a panel of young experts exploring implementation of the Affordable Care Act, or Obamacare, and what it means for physicians, medical students, and the general public. Tune in live on our website or search for it on Google Plus at 8 p.m. Eastern on Sunday, December 22nd. In the meantime, remember that you can download podcasts of all past episodes. Just search the iTunes store for Radio Rounds or visit our website. You can also contact our team via email, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Twitter. All of that information at radiorounds.org. Production made possible in part by MedPlus Advantage, providing group disability and life insurance to students and residents through participating educational institutions. Visit us at medplusadvantage.com. Radio Rounds is also proudly partnered with the Student Doctor Network online at studentdoctor.net. 
Find answers to your questions about medical school or residency programs. Ask questions in our online forums and get answers quickly. It's fast, easy, and available now at studentdoctor.net. Of course, please remember that the views and opinions expressed on Radio Rounds are not representative of the views and opinions of the partners of Radio Rounds. Thanks for joining us, everyone, and have a fantastic week. For our entire staff here at Radio Rounds, I'm John Corker, and one day, I'll be your doctor.